Welcome to the Uncharted Podcast. I am your host, Inez Franklin. My hope for you today is that we discover faith beyond the boundaries. Uncharted is intended to be a safe place for you to listen, learn, and challenge yourself along your journey of faith. May grace and peace be with you today. Welcome to the show. friends. Thank you for joining us. I am thrilled that you're going to hear this conversation that I had with Dan Koch. Dan is the host of a podcast called You Have Permission. Great podcast to listen. And he also is the co-creator of So You Are Deconstructing. It's a website that provides guidance and resources for those who find themselves in this journey of deconstruction, are looking for encouragement and resources. And uh, his website is terrific. So I hope you will check that out. So let's get into this conversation. I think you'll really enjoy Dan is a very smart guy, wonderful guy, great heart, and uh, yeah, we'll talk after. Well, Dan, thank you so much for joining me today. I am so grateful for your time. I am very interested in your story and the journey that you've been in. I think the people that follow me or on my little tribe will learn so much from hearing your story and hearing your perspective. So again, thank you. Thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So tell me, what it, what's, what's the journey you've been on um, that you want to share with us? Yeah, I mean, I guess my faith journey is I was raised, um, I describe it as moderate evangelical in California. So I was uh, born in San Jose area, Northern California, and I had a therapist for a dad and um, a Christian school teacher for a mom, but who also has a rebellious streak to her. So I never, I, my parents were not fundamentalist. It, I did not live in a strict home. Um, we went to a non-denominational church. I went to a Christian junior high and high school and so, and I was a, I was a kid who took it very seriously. I, I took my faith very seriously from as early as I could, basically. Um, and so I, I really, I was very steeped in that culture, but again, not the kind of Southern Baptist uh, kind of stuff that a lot of people I've met since mm-hmm. were raised with. Mine was, mine was, it was easy that there was some gray area, it, you know? Is that why you call it moderate? Yeah, exactly. Like a lot of people didn't think that therapy was good, but my dad was a therapist. Mm. So there was a little bit of tension there. And I knew I didn't have to take every criticism that came from the conservative side as gospel. Got it. uh, Because I knew that my dad was good, Mm. you know. So uh, that was kind of my upbringing. And then uh, around college, basically, I went to three years of college and then I dropped out to play in a band called Sherwood. And we did that for about 10 years. And in those early years, so early 20s, I started reading what I would now consider to be more progressive Christian books. I read a book about universal salvation. I read the first Rob Bell book, Velvet Elvis, um, when that was his only book that he had out when he was still 
kind of an evangelical superstar mm-hmm. um, before he was before he was kicked out for Love Wins, uh, his controversial book about the afterlife. And I also in college was working on I was a philosophy major. Mm-hmm. So that's important that that's different than a lot of people's college experience. I was at a secular school studying philosophy with mostly secular professors and fellow students, although not all. There were, there were a handful of Christians in the philosophy department. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I started having trouble with certain passages like the Canaanite conquest. Mm-hmm. You know, why did God, did he really have to kill everybody <laughs> in Canaan? Like they, the babies? Like, really? Uh, and... So that kind of that really started my, if you want to call it a deconstruction, it was it was like, okay, what are the assumptions here? I have this text, you know, I, I can read the story. What what am I supposed to think of it? Are there different ways of thinking about it? Also in college, I started to think uh, different ways around end times. So I had I was a child of the 90s, so I had read some left behind books mm-hmm. and you know, I was thoroughly ingrained in that um, in that view of the end of things. And I, I read a book that challenged that called end times fiction. That was really helpful and kind of started opening things up for me. That's how it started. And it's just kind of continued along that way for the last 15 to 20 years, just continuing to rework things as they come up. You know, a a lot of people have much more violent sort of deconstruction stories Mm -hmm, than I have. Mine has been very piecemeal. It's a little bit at a time. I'm thinking through it. Uh, I'm usually not in an existential panic, although there have been those moments too. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just evolved. I have some questions and, and then. Yeah, okay, let's let's go. That was a lot to start yeah, with. So, so, yeah, yeah, some good stuff. First of all, for those who are listening, I'm, I'm actually recording this via a Zoom call and I'm seeing in the camera behind you some wonderful guitars like one two three what is yeah. it like five or six of them i think there are seven or eight in here i don't know if they're all quite the beautiful camera. so yeah. you're a guitarist obviously and pianist yeah oh. uh yeah there's a little keyboard here i mean i would not call myself a pianist that's i'm not good enough for that but i i can play adequate simple piano one hand at a time wonderful yeah. well the, re- the reason <laughs> i point this out is because a philosopher and musician very interesting. Yeah. Well, I, definitely not a philosopher. I didn't. I didn't choose to go that route. And I have friends who did, and they do. They do some serious mental work, you know, mm-hmm. for their for a living. Uh, and I like to, you know, get meals and beers and coffee with them and quiz them on it. Mm-hmm. But I don't think I have the constitution to be an actual philosopher. Although I probably could have been a theologian, and I, I probably would be a theologian if I thought I could get a job. Mm-hmm. Um, and now I'm, but now uh, I, di- I should have mentioned this too. I am training to be a psychologist. Oh, wonderful. And so that's where, that's kind of where my career is headed. And I'm actually glad that I didn't go theology because I, I find psychology actually a lot more satisfying and interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and not a lot more interesting, but more interesting. And, and I think it will be a better career move. I mean, I think I will enjoy it more than being a theologian. Is what I mean to say. That makes sense. So makes sense. Yeah. Now, so but I, but for the time being, uh, these guitars and keyboards are here because I write music for advertisements. Oh, That's okay. what I've been doing. After the band, I got into that for about the last ten years. Wonderful. Did I hear you right? Did you say you you went to a Christian 
uh, elementary and high school. Did I hear you? Uh, junior high, junior high, high, high school. school. Yeah. Got it. So mm-hmm. went to a secular college. So you yeah. you said you started to read books, progressive books. Like, how did that interest come up for you? I mean, I, I don't know that too many people go, I'm going to go read that. What was, right? Yeah. Well, you know, being a philosophy major, obviously being pretty interested in, in those kind of things. You know, uh, if you think about when I was in college, Barnes & Noble was a big deal mm-hmm. because it was a place you could get a cheap cup of coffee, maybe a biscotti. You might spend four bucks <laughs> and you could sit for two hours and study or read books that you can't afford. You don't have to pay. Right? <laughs> don't have to pay, right? Don't mark them. And That's so, all. Don't mark them. <laughs> just don't mark them up. Just don't make any creases and you're you're good. Or, or I would often read, you know, 20 or 30 pages and figure out if I really wanted to yeah. read something. So when, when a college kid would go into Barnes Noble, well, what section would they go to? I was the kid who went to the Christianity section or sometimes philosophy, sometimes literature. But basically that was just my interest. I, I've been interested in theological questions since I was old enough to have them, mm-hmm. you know, to ask them basically. I don't really know why. I think it's probably just my constitution. Um, my, my dad, um, even though he's a therapist, was always interested in theological stuff. His, his main work that he uh, created other than working with his clients was a like a 16 week course Um, looking at the book of Genesis through the lens of family therapy. Interesting. Um, Sort of treating those characters like historical people and then analyzing it as a marriage family therapist would. Mm. What's going on here? What are the kind of things that he picks up on? So I was kind of steeped in that. um, And that always was interesting to me. So... Yeah, I don't. I guess I don't really know why. I just always been Got that it. way. Yeah, well, sometimes, like you said, for some people, it's much more of a of a moment, an event, an yeah. experience, yes. or an awakening from an experience that says, "Okay, I, mean, I have to go search." Uh, but in your case, yes. it's just this rolling along, in- continued interest, and this was where you landed. Now, you said you're you're not a, a philosopher, you're not a theologian. Can you tell me, um, as a theologian, because if you, like you said, you've been thinking theologically for a long time, and obviously you continue to do so. Yeah. Would you say we're all theologians in some way? Yeah, well, definitely. <laughs> I, and I would say I, I'm comfortable saying I'm an amateur theologian. Got it. Me too. Uh, but a lot of my friends are professional theologians, yeah. Yeah. and the kind of the kind of effort that they have to put in, you know, I don't ever have to put that yeah. in. <laughs> so I get to do the fun part of of being a theologian, which is like only talk to the people I want to on the topic I want to whenever we both have time. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and then I get to just release it. I don't have to make any faculty happy. You know, I don't have to publish. I just get to do all the fun parts. Yes. But yeah, it, uh, and I think that everybody is a theologian. I, I love the classic definition of theology as faith seeking understanding. Right. So you got faith and you're like, what is this thing? What? How do I put better words to what I'm experiencing or what I'm reading or, you know, whatever, what are, what my community is experiencing. Exactly. Um, and so insofar as that's what theology is, we all do it. Yeah. And then there's like the academic discipline of theology, which More of a is job. different. And I don't really, I don't really do that. I interact with people who do that and I really enjoy yes. it. Yes. So that being said, that process of the books you read and the journey you've been, I think you use the term deconstruction process. Um, mm-hmm. It is a theological process. It definitely right. is, yeah. Yes. So in that way, you are you are a theologian, like you say, amateur. I'm amateur with you. <laughs> well, it's like so. The end times is a really good example. So you know, if you are raised in a certain kind of 
Christianity, especially American evangelicalism, it seems obvious that the Bible teaches that, that Christians will be raptured, there will be a seven-year tribulation, the Antichrist will reign, and then at the end of that, Jesus will come back for the Battle of Armageddon, and then there will be a 1,000-year reign, after which the kingdom of heaven is finally, Satan is thrown to the lake of fire. It's obvious. Mm. It's like math. Turns out, it's not obvious, and there's actually very, very little evidence that that's true, from the Bible or otherwise. Mm. But I didn't know that. I had to deconstruct that. I had to take this sweater that was put on me as a 13-year-old growing up evangelical and go, huh, there's a thread coming out of this sweater. Mm. I'm going to pull on that. Yes. And, and if you pull on it, you get to the Schofield Reference Bible and James Darby in England and the fact that he made one big prediction, which was that Israel would become a nation. That happened 100 years later, and then everybody assumed everything else he predicted would happen. None of it has. Mm. Uh, you know, you got the late great planet Earth, which was a bestseller in 1970 because people thought the world was ending with the Cold War and, you know, nuclear weapons and social upheaval and a global recession. And so you 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 pick on it and then you do deconstruct it. You go, what is what was going on there? Mm -hmm. It wasn't just an obvious thing because, look, Catholics don't believe this and my Lutheran friends don't believe this. Mm -hmm. What the heck is going on? Yeah, aren't they reading the you same Bible? You, yeah. Right. And they're still reading the Bible, yes. but they don't think this. Yes. So how is that possible? Yes. If we're both reading the Bible and the Bible teaches it, why aren't they seeing it? That's really probably the first deconstruction question that most Protestants will ask because Protestants are so, we're so Bible focused. Yes. Right. Yes. And I do still consider myself a Protestant, so, by the way. Yeah. You know, obviously every child eventually has to own their own faith. They have to go through a process yeah. of really evaluating, do I believe what has been given to me? Do I believe this sweater? Yeah. <laughs> Does this sweater still yeah. fit me? So w would you say that some of what you experienced was that or it's that plus? A lot of that started for me before. Mm -hmm. I would say in high school, I recognized that I had, there was a relationship between me and God that was unrelated to my parents, you know, that I had to. And I think that I, I realized that because partly because I grew up in America, which is supremely individualistic society. And as a white American, the most individualistic, if I had grown up as a Latino or a black American, it might've been more communalistic and, and collective, but I grew up white. Mm -hmm. So highly individualistic in the, in the Bay area too, which is like entrepreneur more, right? city, right? Um, and so that's part of it. Another part of it is that I think that I had a really like almost an overactive conscience and a lot of anxiety. I, I had, I've had, um, off and on panic disorder, mm -hmm. uh, which is an anxiety disorder for my whole life. I didn't know that until I was in my mid twenties that that's what it was. Got it. Uh, but I had that too as a teenager. And so that would spur on some of my conscience issues, some of my faith thinking, was I think now just anxiety manifesting itself with the language that I had available to me at the time. Um, so I would say I'm, I, I understand what you're saying and a lot of people make it their own much later in life. I made it my own before I started questioning Got it. Got it. So that when I was questioning it, it, was something it really was yours. mattered. It was already mine yes. to the extent that it could be at 18, right. 19. You know, we're still developing. To some degree, I'm still making my faith mine you know, I have a son who's a little over a year and I've got, you know, starting with pregnancy about two years now 
of new kinds of questions and new ways that my faith has to become mine that it never had to be before because I wasn't responsible for a pregnant wife or a child. A person, a human. Um, So, yeah. (laughs) So, okay, you brought something that was so intriguing. Just my last interview was with Rebecca Lyons, and she talked about her panic disorder and her anxiety. And so Mm. if I can just do a little segue for a moment, because I I would love for these two things to connect, at least for reference point for those who listen to the podcast regularly. Because the reason I interviewed her, I was interested in how the journey of experiencing uh, anxiety, uh, depression, panic disorders, any kind of mental illness situation gets so enwrapped in our faith and our struggle with God at times because, you know, you're told, well, you just have to have faith or, you know, you just pray and it's over. Uh, You know, you don't need medication. You know, you can just pray it away. And sometimes we pray and if it doesn't get go away, we start wondering, am I praying enough? Is my faith? These are the things that I know I've heard people say. So I'm trying to repeat what they say. So I asked Rebecca, like, how does that affect your journey of faith? And so I'm curious, how, you know, obviously for you, that was a big factor as well, that it connected to your faith. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, I mean, some of that stuff you're describing, the, you know, pray rather than getting medical help, or if you have enough faith, you'll get healed. Um, that is stuff that I have come, up, come across as I start doing my own research, mm-hmm. which is on spiritual abuse. And that is one of the types of spiritual abuse, I think. Uh, And it's basically rooted in the prosperity gospel. Um, And the way that I define the prosperity gospel is any understanding of the world that is transactional with God. The name it, claim it. I put this in, I will get this out because God always works the same way. God is a a mathematical transaction machine. And so if I do the right thing, if I have the right amount of faith and these people pray, then I will be healed. And if I don't, it's because they didn't pray or I didn't have enough faith because it's never God. God always does it. Um, and He's always willing. I think that that's, yeah, exactly. And I think that that's uh, just tremendously false and harmful. Yeah. So I didn't grow up with any of that, thankfully. Um, so for me, the anxiety was more, it was more a pure a pure anxiety that I just put, like I had, I had anxiety about rain, about light, about thunder before I had anxiety about anything Christian. Mm. So for me, the anxiety predates the religious anxiety. Um, it wasn't lightning. I wasn't afraid of lightning. I was afraid of thunder and I don't know why, but I, it became a panic trigger Mm. for me for a year or so as a kid. Uh, and there have been other, triggers that have kind of cycled for me through the years. And eventually that became religious and it was end time stuff, which then led me to research that in college and read something else about it and start to pick it apart. So in that sense, when you said I was just rolling along, it's not totally true. I did have things that kind of rocked me that then were impetus for me to try something or read something. And that is often the way that my education has come about uh, of myself, not in school. I mean, but I will have some anxiety about something and then I'll learn about it to get to lower that anxiety, which actually usually works. Yes. It's a pretty good way to do it. Uh, you know, people have different approaches, but it's worked fairly well for me. And yeah, 
So I don't know if that totally answered your question. Well, it, it did, and it raised more questions because I'm a, I'm a learner, yeah. and so I'm always asking questions. Um, because, you know, the, the, the beautiful story of Jesus talking about if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can move that mountain. Mm-hmm. You have to ask without doubt. And some people, they really point to that passage. You're just not asking right. That's why you're not yeah. getting. You're just not asking right. And so that came to mind as you were sharing the, the, the formulaic a contractual way of, that we deal with God. Sometimes because we read these passages and we think, oh, we just have to ask a certain way and God will do anything we ask. And right. why can't I move right. this mountain that's before me? Right? Yeah. We might, we might pause and think, has anyone ever moved a mountain with their faith? No. Okay. So... Perhaps we need to interpret that differently. Oh, you you just <laughs> maybe, read my mind. Should, <laughs> I just read my mind. Maybe that one's not worth reading literally. That's right. You know? I mean, I just said I've that to someone the move. other day. I was like, okay, how many people have moved mountains lately? It's like, are you saying no one has faith? Uh, so, yeah. oh my gosh, that's so good. Um, and that, and we couldn't say that no one has faith because Jesus says your faith has healed you many occasions. That's right. So obviously, people have faith. So he's getting at something else, or you know, depending on what you think about the Bible, you have other ways of dealing with that. But yeah, it, it doesn't seem like one that we can take literally. Yeah. So, okay. So thank you for that clarification as far as the journey itself. Can you help us define uh, deconstruction? So again, this is a very hot word right now. Lots of people yeah. using that term uh, as, as someone who's not specifically on that journey myself. I actually get confused when I hear everyone throwing, you're not using that term right. It means this. And so would you give me a sense for what you think it means and how, how, what you see the battle around this term or this type of journey. Yeah. The way I guess I would define it is it is when someone takes the, the whole cloth of the faith tradition that they're in, usually that they're raised in, but, but sometimes they can convert into it, you know, at an earlier age. And then they start looking at it and going, okay, you know, actually some of these things don't quite fit. And, and that's when they begin to pick it apart and to look, to zoom in here and there and look at different things, maybe trying to get behind the, the fabric in front of them to like, well, what's on the back of this pattern? Why are these things connected? You know, the way you could turn over a cross stitch and you could see which cells are connected to each other by thread. You kind of, you want to figure that out. This usually is not something I'm actually, I've never met a single person who started deconstructing on purpose. Mm. It is almost always something that happens to someone. Yes, I noticed that too. Um, And there are a lot of possibilities. So one is hypocrisy. If you see a certain kind of hypocrisy, you think, huh, that looks like bad fruit. I wonder if the tree is bad. Mm -hmm. I've been told my whole life that this is a good tree that produces good fruit, that our church has things right. I've been told by my parents my whole life that we vote for Republicans because they are moral, but now they voted for Donald Trump, who's clearly immoral. So what's going on? That's a big cause of deconstruction for a lot of people since 2015. Then they go, okay, I need to turn this thing around and see how it's built because this is not what I was raised with. Uh, Another example can be, you know, losing someone or a great kind of suffering. Mm -hmm. Uh, Also, it can be joy. It can be love. You you become very good friends with a Muslim right, and you go, right, huh, right. I was told that I can't be in fellowship with a Muslim, that I have to st- they have to stop at the door 
that I can't be true friends with them because they don't believe in Jesus. But this Muslim friend is so dear to me and clearly loves God. Mm -hmm. So what's going on here? Mm -hmm. I need to turn this thing around and see how it was constructed. Why, why was I taught that Muslims are all going to hell or that God, that Allah and God are not the same? What's going on there? That's deconstruction, basically. It, it, it seems to me like the challenge is construction. <laughs> In other words... Re or reconstruction. No, yeah. no, what I mean is oh. you, deconstruction happens because something was constructed... Yes, right. In, in, in a particular yeah. way to give us the impression mm -hmm. that we cannot undo that or question that. Because... Mm -hmm. The reading I've done in the Bible, I've been a believer for 18 years now. I came in late to the party. Mm -hmm. um, and the reading I have when, as I read the Bible, as I go on this journey of faith, is that there is a million questions. There's so much to think about, to so much nuance, so many places in the Bible where there's um, almost intentional tension that ought to yeah, make I us agree. feel like, okay, there's a mystery here that these two mm -hmm. things are saying opposite things, but they're in the same place. And yet, so how do we got so to building such a certain fixed structure to begin with is it's the interesting thing. Yes. But then here's my next question. But that being said, it appears to me that for some people, uh, deconstruction has a very specific path. So, for example, depending on how you go into what it is that you're trying to break down, um, you are trying to reach a certain goal versus I'm going to discover and let it take me where it's going to take me. I, I, I've, I've read I some things. I don't think that people are aware of a, if there is a common place that people land, mm -hmm. uh, I don't think people are aware of that when they start mm. uh, because you kind of can't be right. Like I, I think that there are forces in American culture specifically that make all non deconstructed or anti deconstruction Christians similar in certain ways. And they make all the deconstructed whatever Christians or former Christians similar in certain ways. Those are large scale American forces that are going on. Mm -hmm. So that's true of deconstruction. It's true of car purchase. It's true of clothing and music you listen to. Political parties. You know, it's true of, yeah, where you live, urban or rural. Right. You know, so it's true that the deconstruction movement and the counter movement are both being impacted by those global forces that are just massively influential in America right now. Um, and so there's going to be similarity. You know, almost everybody who really deconstructs is going to be gay affirming. All, they're almost all going to vote for Democrats and not Republicans anymore. And, you know, there's certain things like that. I think that's more just like America right now than it is uh, deconstruction. But there are other things like deconstructing Christians are going to question inerrancy of the Bible or at least the common um, the kind of common in the pews version uh, and I think that there are reasons why everybody ends up doing that. Personally, I think that's because inerrancy doesn't really work. That it, once you look under the hood, it doesn't really make sense anymore. Whereas something like how does the atonement work uh, is far more open, mm -hmm. and people who deconstruct may or may not will, touch that. Yeah, or they or they land in all different areas. Some people, you know, I really like the orthodox view of Christ as victor. Some people go, right. I think that the, 
you know, uh, scapegoat theory of Gerard is actually really appealing to me. Or mm -hmm. personally, I'm a moral exemplar mm -hmm. of atonement theory guy. But you don't see nearly as much agreement on some of those things. And so part of it, I think, is that another another reason why you might see similarities is that there is kind of one really big evangelical subculture in America, a white evangelical subculture, that makes a lot of the same mistakes, in my opinion. Mm. And so anybody who comes out of there, once they start looking, they're going to be able to see the seams. They're going to be able to see where that was kind of patched together. Mm. Race is a good example. Mm -hmm. Like the white evangelical church has no idea how to think or talk or deal with racial issues. It doesn't ever look at its history. It doesn't know that the black denominations were started because those black men were not allowed to become pastors mm. in their denominations. You know, we just don't know any of that stuff. Mm. So basically everybody who interrogates race and the white church, they're going to come to kind of similar conclusions because it's a massive blind spot mm. for white evangelicals. And so someone else is going to fill it in with something much closer to the truth. Mm. So when, when, uh, when you're deconstructing, you're trying to get to a place of reconstruction because, I mean, let's face it, we all want to feel like we are somewhere. <laughs> you know, there's a sense. Yeah, you can't live in perpetual chaos. <laughs> Correct, right? right? We were always looking towards order again. Mm -hmm. And like you said, some, some people land in different par parts and other things remain somewhat deconstructed. They, they remain mm -hmm. a mystery in a way, but the important yeah. things land. Are you of the position that that everyone that deconstructs has to land in a certain place. And you know, there are certain things, at least for evangelicals, because that's what you know, that they have to yeah. land in a certain place. Or do you believe truly it is a it is a journey that each person has to decide because they have to decide what they're reconstructing? I think that my view is that the human brain has to come to some new identity, mm -hmm. at least partial yeah. or or we will just go crazy. Yeah. Like we just, we can't maintain not having a tribe of any kind for very long. We are not well built for that. Right. Uh, we have been in tribes forever. That is, that's the it's human nature. experience. You know, it's not the, it's not the experience of uh, a lion, for instance, mm -hmm. not a male lion anyway. Mm -hmm. um, it is the experience of a human to be in a tribe. That is just that's yes. what we do. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, we will need to find one. That doesn't mean that we'll find a good one right. that's healthy for us. Or quickly. For um, some people, it's quite quickly. a long journey. Exactly. Yes. But one of, the, one of the insights that I have found very clarifying is in Mark Karras. He wrote a book called Religious Refugees. And one of his principles for going through what he calls the DR journey, the deconstruction reconstruction journey is he says you need to find an unholy huddle. Hmm. And he just means one to three people that are completely safe for you to process any of this stuff with. And they just, they just need to support you and you need to feel like you can talk things out with them, write them a letter, write them an email, whatever. If you don't have those one to three people, 
uh, you you kind of can't do it. Mm. You kind of can't do anything in life without one to three people <laughs> is one way of saying yes. it. You can't make any real change completely alone. Right. We're just, we're social creatures. We just aren't built for that. Um, and so I, I think that that's reveals something true yeah. about this experience. Somewhere along this journey for you, did you ever feel you were in danger? Like there was, that this journey was dangerous for you ultimately? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I've, I've rarely felt in danger of God's wrath because for some reason, and I, I don't even think I am normal in this respect. I think most people who have anxiety around their faith do at some point worry about not being saved. Mm. I never had that worry. Uh, and I think it's like a function of maybe the way my parents believed mixed with the church. Um, and so I've never worried about that. Thank God, which I say literally not as slang. <laughs> I'm thankful to God for that. Um, but I have felt profoundly unstable at, at many points. Yeah. Um, you know, if, if someone, if anyone's been married, what it feels like is, I don't know if you've ever had these kind of moments in your marriage, but occasionally you're having a really bad fight and a thought makes its way in that has not been there before. Like, did I marry the wrong person? <laughs> is this totally unsolvable? Yeah. Are, are we doomed to repeat this for 50 more years mm. or get divorced or whatever? The the first time you have a thought like that, which is a natural thing, right? not to feel guilty about it, the, the amount of instability that that feels like, or like, has has she never seen me as X or Y mm. and just faked something this whole time? Mm. You know, that that is what deconstruction feels like. It is this like foundational instability. And that's why nobody does it on purpose yeah. because nobody would ever set out to wonder if they married the wrong person. Right. That is not a thing that people do. That's true. That only happens if other things are going poorly. That's true. You don't, you don't choose to question your marital choice. Right. You know? Now, so it's in, like a thing. Yeah. yeah so in, the, in that instability, when it comes to matters of faith, the temptation is either to rush through it to get somewhere, which means if there are strong enough voices around us, we will just go from following one person to following another, whether yes. it's good or not, it, you know, right? Yeah. Um, or we give up. And you hear about people who say, oh, this is just too hard. I'm just, I'm not going to do this anymore. And they might just give up on their faith altogether. Would you say that's true? I mean, did you did you have those moments where you were you had that tension to go either way? I tend to think that people giving up is not very well understood. Hmm. I think that I would like to see more research on what that process is of actually deconverting to say I, I don't I'm not in this anymore. I wonder what. Um, It'd be interesting to know, like, what kind of things are true of people who that doesn't happen to. Like, for me, I have had too much religious experience. So even when I am at my most doubting of particular claims or ways of seeing God or seeing Jesus or whatever, at the end of the day, I go, well, I'm not, I don't doubt all these experiences that I've had. I don't think they're all nothing. So... I, I just have to, I have some version of this and it's not the version maybe that I'm thinking of now. Maybe it'll be a different version in the future. 
but it's going to still be some version mm -hmm. because I've had all these experiences and they, and they line up perfectly with my values. And, you know, it's, it's, it's a very consonant experience for me. Mm -hmm. I wonder if people who, who haven't had that, if they go, oh, you know, I believed all this because everyone around me believed it and I don't believe it anymore. Mm -hmm. And if you realize that, then that's not really quitting. It's acknowledging that there was no real foundation in the first place, not for you anyway. Yes. There was one for your community, but if that community changes, then the foundation goes away. Right. And that's not quite giving up. I don't, I'm not sure that people give up all that much. I mean, people commit suicide sometimes and that's a, that's a form of giving up, mm -hmm. but yeah, I don't know. Well, I'm not sure. I, I'm assuming that for those who are deeply injured, whether it's like you say, spiritual abuse, yeah. uh, a sudden loss, an important loss, or, uh, just a, a moment of realizing how evil this world can be, you know, just, mm -hmm. just having a thought of this is just so bad. I cannot imagine a God would exist with this reality. Right. You know, you, you go to one of those Holocaust museums and you're just yeah. broken by what you see. And so sometimes I think people, and giving up seems unfair because the language of giving up is like, I don't care anymore. Sometimes giving up, is about caring so much that you can't carry it anymore. Right. right? That you, yeah. um, so how does someone protect themselves from the voices that come? And how do you protect yourself from that danger, from the voices that come your way uh, that might lead you in a direction, another incorrect direction, shall I say, right? If you're deconstructing, it's mm -hmm. because you've decided, okay, I, this is not right. But then the fear is I'll end up in another wrong corner. How did you protect yourself of that? You know, this one's, this is kind of a cheat because for me, it, it comes back to the basic teachings of Jesus mm -hmm. that, which I still have found no real reason to doubt. Mm -hmm. And so the way I look at it is, is this voice, uh, are they spurring me on through fear or do they have something to gain by getting my emotions riled up or are they selling something to me? Mm. That's one way of thinking about it. And if and that happens on the left and the right, right. Uh, I think that there are people building big platforms right now, being anti-progressive Christianity, and they're selling tens and hundreds of thousands of books, and they're getting twenty grand to speak at conferences by f fighting progressive Christianity. Yeah. But a lot of what they're doing is rallying a tribe together and making them afraid. That their church, they're making them afraid that their way of life will go away. Right. I don't think fear is a Christian motivator. Yeah, I agree. Um, I, I I don't think the Bible supports it at all. Fear of God, fine. Yeah, sure. Fear of fear of the gay agenda, no. Mm. Fear of uh, conservatives, uh, you know, be afraid because conservatives are going to indoctrinate your kids and turn the world into the Handmaid's Tale. No. That's not a Christian motivator either on, on the left. Mm -hmm. So I look for fear. I look for incentives of the person or group. Um, and I weigh it up against like, is this encouraging me to love my enemy? Is this encouraging me to care about the poor? Mm -hmm. You know, just the Sermon on the Mount, right. basically. Right. Uh, and so I've been fortunate in that I have had no real reason to question the Sermon on the Mount. Yeah. Still don't. And so I can weigh it against that. Mm -hmm. And that's probably the main thing that I do. That's good. 
obviously there there is a um, it's not just fear as one of components, but for some people they've been deeply hurt. I I I've, yes. I've seen some people who when they talk and they talk about their their deconstruction experience, you can just hear the pain. I can just, oh, yeah. between the words, I can hear the pain of something that they've experienced. So I would I would add that to the list, I guess, if I were in that journey, I would look for, okay, is someone speaking from their pain? In which case, oh, yeah. you know, there is a filter to that that may color the way that they are seeing things, mm-hmm. right? You know, personally, I think that people who have suffered serious abuse within the church uh, probably should leave church at least for quite a while. I mean, heal. God would like you to heal more than God would like you to keep your membership attendance up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> you know, like yeah. uh, whatever it takes to heal. And I and I want I want robust healing for those people. I, I want so real I. healing. Yeah. you know. Um, and I think that real healing is God. I mean, I just I don't think. I don't think there's anybody who becomes a healthier, less anxious, less afraid, more loving version of themselves that is moving away from God. I don't, that doesn't make sense to me. Mm. If we are becoming more like Christ, then we're becoming more like God. Yes. That's the whole thing. Mm -hmm. So I do, now I do, I'm a big believer in church. Uh, I think that church is good for most people. I am really actively interested in times when it's not good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's what my research is on. Mm-hmm. But I want people to go to church and have healthy church communities. And so I think that that's probably going to be a part of it for most Christians. But for a t- whatever you got to do, right. get healthy, right. get a good therapist, get a few people around you, heal. You know, that's important. You know, when I went to seminary, I, I read a book about the spiritual journey called... Um, now I'm embarrassed. I can't think of the name. I think it's called The Critical Journey. And it's a 70s book. And I, I remember reading about yeah. the stages of faith and thinking, oh, wow, we don't have a ministry for people who are going through a struggle in their journey of faith. We don't have a ministry like that. Right. It's like, yeah. come, believe, you're in. Great. Now serve. <laughs> serve and yeah. give. Um, and in the autonomy, there's care recovery for those who are dealing with, with issues of life, which, of course, are important. I don't devalue any of that. Yeah. But what about issues of faith, our struggle with faith? Mm-hmm. So in your journey for uh, to work in psychology, is that part of what you're interested in doing? Or, you know, you're just interested in helping people with whatever comes their way? I would like to work with, and I plan to sort of specialize working with people that want to talk about religion as part of their therapy mm-hmm. in basically any form. But I will, I'm, I'm sure I will end up with a lot of people who are working through trauma from right. spiritual abuse, just because that's what so much of my work will end up being around. That's what you're, you're most um, interested in. Yeah, that's what my dissertation is on. Mm-hmm. And that's what my first few publications will be about in terms of research. Very interesting. And I'll probably, probably do a book at some point, gather enough of that together when I feel like that's appropriate. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I imagine I'll see a lot of that, but I'm interested in every relationship between someone's religious faith and their mental health and their story. I, I love it all. Mm-hmm. I, w- I want to talk about all of it with anybody. Sounds good. Well, Dan, thanks again for this time. Uh, I, I'd like to close with this question. For those who are listening who might be somewhere along this journey, what were, you know, obviously you said one thing that I want to repeat. Whatever it takes, get some healing, get mm-hmm. a therapist. That's wonderful. Is there anything else you want to share with them to encourage them? 
Well, yeah, you know, actually, my friend Sari and I, we we made a website called SewYourDeconstructing.com. And the idea of that website is to introduce people to kind of the whole range of Christian thought on any number of issues. There's a page about therapy, but there's also a page. Uh, the, the main chunk of the site is about uh, various topics that people run into problems with. Mm-hmm. And there are usually like 10 to 20 resources per topic kind of arranged from easiest to, to hardest to read or listen to. And uh, there's also a page on spiritual practices, which I think is, you know, I think one of the reasons a lot of people go through uh, such a difficult deconstruction process is that they were raised in a church community that emphasized having the right beliefs and did not emphasize learning to live a certain way Mm. in the way of Jesus. And so they're left with all these beliefs, many of which end up being false. Mm. And then no, no practices, mm. then it's easy to walk away yeah. because it was just a straw man to begin with. Mm-hmm. And so we're trying to sort of widen people's um, exposure to stuff within this tradition that, that can be helpful for people or that can make sense to them. Wonderful. Um, you know, we don't choose which church we are born into. We don't choose which church we convert into as adults like yourself. Um, we just are given that and then, well, oh, there's more, you know, uh, Catholics are like half of all Christians. That's kind of crazy. I don't spend very much time thinking about what Catholics believe, but there are way more of them, mm-hmm. you know? So, uh, you know, just, just stuff like that. Yeah. And so I, I would encourage people to check that out if that sounds like it could be helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's probably, that's probably the main thing I've yeah. put, there's, there's, I put so much work into that website. Okay. <laughs> Everything is probably on there. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. The other thing yeah. you said that I, I, I want to repeat again because I thought it was so golden was that this process you do with God, that you can't, mm-hmm. you can't find that wholeness outside of that space. And so to the extent that you can continue to face God and seek God in it, uh, that's where healing comes uh, over time. The way that I would say it is that like people's idea of God your idea of God might need to totally die because it might not resemble God at all. What I'm saying is whatever is actually healing that actually makes you more mature, that makes you love your self and neighbor better then that is towards God. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes our, our communities, when they are afraid that we're changing, they can gaslight us Mm -hmm. and they can say, well, you're wrong because you have a wrong image of God and we have the right image of God and we know that that God doesn't approve of what you're doing. Mm. But in reality, they, they could be right. They could be wrong. Right. They don't speak for God. Mm-hmm. Uh, no person speaks for God. And the proof, as Jesus often says, is in the fruit. Yeah. The proof is in the pudding in American yeah. English <laughs> parlance. And so what's the fruit? Yeah. And over time, are you? is the fruit getting better? Are you loving yourself, God, and your neighbor better? Yeah. Then that's good fruit. Yeah. And that's the best piece of evidence you have uh, because people disagree on all the details. And if you actually go to that pastor or parent, you know, or some friend's dad or whoever who's giving you a hard time, and you actually ask them to give you all the reasons that they know that their denomination is right and that other denominations are wrong, they don't have those reasons. Yeah. 
The reason they think that is because everybody around them thinks that, and it, it gives them a lot of uh, security Safety. to think that. That's right. Yeah, yeah, they feel good thinking it. And I think, again, we, it's that place of us that wants to have land so that we can go on living yeah. life and not think so hard. We have to. <laughs> yeah, we, and you can have compassion on that yes. person because you also need to land yes. somewhere. Yes. But that doesn't mean that when you land, all your beliefs are going to be right yeah. either. So that's why we don't judge. Yeah. Back to the Sermon on the Mount. This is why we can't judge people because we just don't have the facts. Yes. We don't have a universal knowledge of the human experience. We just don't. Yes. We don't know how to create a universe. We don't know how to do it. Okay? We don't know. We just don't have access to that stuff. Very good. So we have to be humble and we cannot judge each other. Uh, but we also can stand up for ourselves when other people are judging us because they should not judge us either. That's right. That's right. Well, that's a good yeah. way to end. Thank you, Dan, again for joining us. Yeah. I, I can't pleasure. wait for our community to send in some comments and, and have a conversation about this. Uh, God bless you cool. for all that you do. Thank you, Ines. Thank you. Wow, that was terrific, Andy. Wasn't that great to listen to Dan share so many great things and actually get to know him. I feel like I got to know him better. I wonder if you did too. Um, and also all the things that he's doing. One of the things that I really captured from this as I listened to Dan was his pastoral heart. He really has a deep heart for those who are going through this. And of course, there's so many people that are in this journey. And so I, I really appreciate it that there's someone out there who really cares, right? Sometimes we think we're alone. There's no one out there who cares, no one that can help us, uh, but there is. And so, yeah. Yeah, I, I've been a fan of Dan's um, for a long time. I, I originally started listening to him when he had a podcast called Depolarize, which is a way to like enter the political conversation oh, and wow. talk about faith. And he, he did that kind of started that in 2016 and it ran through a few years. And then, um, and then, then yeah, he's, as you heard, like he started his show, you have permission, which has been um, a great way to allow a lot of, you know, faith oriented conversations to have space. Right. And says yeah. like, it's okay for us to think about these things. It's okay yes. for us to dialogue about things. You have permission to do this. And I, I think that's, um, his work is is amazing. And uh, so, yeah, him, him and I have been friends for, for quite some time. And I did get to know him a little bit better on this um, on this show. Like he, if anyone out there is, has listened to him, um, I've always heard him more in a singular perspective talking about a certain topic. topic. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But this is kind of one of the first times I felt like I got to hear him talk more broadly about his work and his heart and, and his I've known his view on a few of these things, but to hear them kind of be collective like for example when you asked him um how do we how do we make sure that we don't end up in another dangerous or toxic experience yes. or space and i appreciated that he's just like you know i you know i still believe in jesus and i still believe the gospel is is a good primer you know mm -hmm. to to put that lens on and kind of be like is the critique that's coming my way is it coming from a place of helpfulness and caring and love that is trying to bring me more to be like Jesus or more towards what the gospel is, is calling me to do? And um, I, I really appreciate that. And I still think that's really valid for a lot of us that are still even having those big questions about our faith in general. It's like the, I think the gospel itself, you know, without overly trying to define it, it, it's if it is as simple as how we maybe see how Jesus is. Um, I still think that's a pretty valid primer. 
Yes, and it's it's. I don't wanna, like. I don't like using the word anchor because it sounds like a like a binding thing, but it is foundational and it helps kind of help people feel like okay, there is a ground I'm standing upon in order for me to have these conversations. I think the 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 part that I felt is sad is you know with even with the podcast called you have permission what that demonstrates is how many people feel like they don't have permission they're, they're going through something they did not choose themselves that is happening to them and the worst thing you can say is then say you don't have permission to do that it was like it's happening I can't help that right I'm going through this how can you tell me I don't have permission so I, I love that he called it that and I love that he makes space for people um, to really just be honest about what they're feeling yeah, and I, I 100% affirm, like in my own experience and in the man countless people I've worked with, is that um, deconstruction is is not a chosen path. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like I I didn't choose to get you know bullied in sixth and seventh and eighth grade by like the pastor's kid in my you know my church. Like that wasn't my choice. Like it's just you know which led me to bigger questions of like, well, I thought that's supposed to be like for my own peer relationships, what a Christian's supposed to look like. Yeah. Well then now I have to ask the question, is it something else? I mean, that alone yeah. is deconstruction, you know? Right, so right. it's just, I can't just wholesale assume, well, that I'm supposed to be like that kid. Cause everyone else says I should be like that kid. Mm. And it's like, well, no, it's like, cause that kid at school is a completely different kid that he is at church. And you guys don't see that. Right. And so it's like, I'm forced now to have to ask these questions of like, well, well who really is Jesus or what does that actually look like? And it's like, you know, that is, you know, a part, a small part of my own deconstruction story, but it's like in a bigger image. I mean, that is what folks are going through. It's like yeah. you're, these things are thrust upon you where it puts you in a position where it's like, I have to ask these questions now because like I'm the one that's being hurt, you know? So, um, you know, my heart aches for those. Like I, I instantly feel that just talking about that of like, you know, this isn't, we don't, we don't choose this. And like, All that's right. where I think, you know, I affirm you. I think in, in, in doing this podcast and I think the ministry itself and, and you called out on the show, it's like, yeah, like why, why don't, and we kind of said it lightly, but I mean, like in a way it's like, no, really though, why churches don't build programs and ministries yeah. that specifically like call, you know, whatever we want to call it, but like, you know, ministry for your faith journey and experience. I get a feeling that could be the largest ministry of the church. <laughs> <laughs> right? Be- that is the whole, the whole church that, that ministry, be, but yes. It is interesting, though, that it's like, but so many folks I hear talk about this. The thing that they say is like, where do I go? Yeah. Who do I ask these questions to? Well, yeah, but let's, let's do an inventory, right? There's a men's ministry, women's ministry. There's a new believers, you know, probably some sort of discipleship course that you can take. There's a care recovery class, you know, classes, which are wonderful for those who are going through a, a life crisis of some sort. And there's biblical classes, right, that you can take and by, you know, you're just learning about the Bible and whatever. There's no place where like, how do I live out my faith? Sunday morning for one hour, you get something, a devotional, that should be it. That's not a conversation, right? So yeah, I remember when I read that in school, that book, I mean, just said, had such an impact on me. Um, and, And I remember back at Brian sharing how here he was at a concert and he had this moment of crisis, like, wow, this feels like church. Wait, why does church feel like this? You know, that you don't get to, you don't create that. That just comes into your mind and now you can't erase that. You have to think about it. You have to work through that. 
And so we have to create space for people. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know how well the, the ministry title uh, or name lack of believers uh, would actually fly <laughs> in, in a lot of a lot of church spaces. They'd probably freak out about that. <laughs> yes, they would. I don't think that one's going to work, Andy. <laughs> you know, but, I, but, that's, but that's the thing is like, you know, I do actually think that, you know, and, and maybe that's just this evolving process of the work that we've been doing together here is that like, you know, may, yeah, I think there does need to be a space where folks that are that are in the church or not in the church that are coming in it's like well because you know you have a, a, a new believers mindset but it's like yeah but there are people who have been like going to church for two decades and then yes. left but yes. then want to come back yes. and it, but it's like what do you but how do you enter those spaces and have a place to really dialogue about what your journey has been like that um that feels nuanced and feels like there's relationship and space to be heard and um, a space to wade through all of that. And so I see the need. Yes, there's a huge need, huge need, yes. Right, and I appreciate that Dan is, is doing his part. You know, he's, he's providing some resources for people, again, anchored in the gospel, which I really appreciate. Um, yeah, yeah, and- so yeah, that's his site. Yeah, so you're deconstructing. And, yes. and the thing too, like he, he mentioned, I, I don't want people to miss it, is that you know, part of what that site does is also revealing certain spiritual practices that have been a part of the church for a very long time that at some point in time were just kind of dismissed and left alone. Mm-hmm. And, and he's like, hey, I, actually, some of these things can actually be really helpful for you. Yeah, and good. so I think that's another way that site, it's not that like that site isn't there to just like answer questions about all these hard things. Largely what it's also doing is saying there is a bigger breadth of what God has offered us as a part mm-hmm. of a people that we can experience that reveals who God is. And in some places have kind of left that stuff alone. And I think he's he's brought some of that back together in that website. So you guys should definitely go check that out. Very good. Well, Andy, thank you so much for this time. And folks, I hope you share this with others who you think might be really helped by this as well. Again, we want to thank Dan for his time and his willingness to share so wonderfully. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Uncharted Podcast with Inez Franklin. Learn more about Inez at unchartedpod.com. Follow Inez's journey on Instagram at Inez Franklin. Sign up for our email list to receive direct access to online experiences and more. Thanks for listening and join us again next time. Oh,